Welcome to On DOD on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. Now, your host, Jared Serbu. And thanks for tuning in this week. It is that time of the year when Congress is getting down to the final stages of the process of putting together an annual defense authorization bill. And for the fourth year in a row, the House version of the bill, at least, includes a number of provisions aimed at reforming the defense acquisition system. The round of changes that were initially proposed by House Armed Services Chairman Mac Thornberry this time around, though, are a little different in that they're heavily influenced by, and in some cases, they came directly from the work being done right now by a group of acquisition experts called the Section 809 Panel. They, of course, have been studying ways to improve and streamline DOD acquisition for the past year and a half. And on this week's show, we have several members of the panel with us to talk about some of the work they've been doing that made its way into the bill. And folks, just to start us off, you know, I, I think a big chunk of the acquisition reform aspects of the bill are made up of things that you might call statutory cleanup um, and also just reorganizing the parts of federal law that deal with acquisition into one consolidated section of, of U.S. code. So, in, in other words, a lot of this is simply repealing laws that have already been scheduled to sunset, and, and that date has already come and gone, so so they're not operative anymore anyway. So, so anyway, I'd, I'd be interested in the panel's views in, in doing all of that. I mean, what what's the value of that kind of spring cleaning, even if it doesn't really have any legal effect? Um, this is Kathy Garman, um, Commissioner. Uh our thinking is it's actually as part of the whole Title X kind of uh, restructuring, and it's a decluttering of the code, uh, primarily the 10 um, issues that were picked up both in our report and in Chairman Thornberry's bill are what are considered notes in Title X. They are laws that are not codified, but they're notes, and trying to kind of read Title X and then all of these note sections is a bit overwhelming to, um, to a number of practitioners. And as we are looking at restructuring Title X, we felt that it was valuable to, to basically those things that are obsolete or no longer necessary, why keep them? And why continue to clutter up the code? And that was basically our rationale, is, is more just declutter. This is Dave Drapkin. Uh, just to follow on what Kathy said, we're, uh, we're also proposing the reorganization, as she mentioned, and as Chairman Thornberry uh, identified in his bill, so that all of the acquisition-related provisions in the statute are gathered in a single place where they can be easily found, both by Congress as it proposes to modify them and by the practitioners who use them every day. Uh, this would be the first time that the Title X uh, had all of the acquisition provisions in one place since 1947 at the, when they passed the Armed Services Procurement Act. And Dave and, and Kathy, you both use the word practitioners. Can you just say a little bit more about the value of the decluttering and, and reorganizing that you just talked about? Because my impression, anyway, is that lawyers who work in the government contracting space every day know where to find this stuff. So so are you talking about a different group of people when you say practitioners? Well, actually, lawyers uh, don't necessarily know where to find this stuff. And because of how it's organized, it's difficult to find. 
even for the experienced practitioner and even using electronic tools, it is difficult to query Title X and find all of the acquisition-related provisions. And so what this does is eliminate that difficulty. It also uh, allows Congress to actually get a vision of what it's actually got in the code. Uh, and as Kathy pointed out, there's stuff in there that's no longer necessary, that has, uh, is, is overtaken by events. Um, it's not something that Congress regularly pays attention to, but Secret uh, Chairman Thornberry has paid attention to it and is focusing uh, his attention on, on, on essentially a housekeeping matter that would make the code more useful. This, this is Bill LaPlante, a commissioner and a non-lawyer. For even non-lawyers in this acquisition system, it's important at times to be able to do a lineage from statute through the FAR, through necessarily the DFAR, to uh, let's say policy of the DOD to understand where that is. And for the reasons already said by the other commissioners, not having being able to easily find as a non-lawyer this stuff and how it relates to what you're trying to do practically, it makes it even just harder. This, is, this, is, this really does help more than the lawyers. This is Sam Kidd. I'm the, the general counsel for the panel and, and a practitioner who works in the Air Force in this area at times. And it, it can be extraordinarily challenging when you're looking, even, even when you know there's a note under a statute that you're trying to find. Uh, the, one of the recent NDAAs added 11 notes under one statute. So when you're, when you're adding in multiple numbers of notes under a statute each year and you're trying to go through and find one specific note within, within all that clutter, uh, it can be extraordinarily challenging even when you know even when you know which statute that note is buried under. And as Ms. LaPlante was saying, it, it, it provides you no context. You find these notes, but they're not in any kind of organized fashion that you can then back off a step. So you can back up a chapter and see the, see the rest of the context that surrounds uh, that piece of, piece of law. So the, the total, the whole reorganization project is going gonna, is gonna to really help those who are in the department trying to trying to understand how all these provisions, especially, interact with each other. All right, let me pivot to one of the other major topics in the chairman's proposal, and uh, which, which also originated with you guys on the Section 809 panel, which is the entire subject of how we define commercial items in, in defense procurement. A, a two-part question on that. One, the bill, as I, as I read it, seems to try to come to a more common definition for what a commercial item is. So... Did Chairman Thornberry land in the right place on that, in your view? And then the second part, if you could just do a little bit of context setting, because I know the panel spent a lot of time on this. Talk, talk a bit about why this has gotten to be such a complicated area of the FAR and the DFARs with confusion about what is a commercial item. Uh, this is Dave Drafkin. I'll kick off, but I think uh, there are many of my colleagues who will want to speak to this. Um, historically, commercial items were introduced into the procurement process in DOD by the Federal Acquisition Streamlining Act of 1994, and in part they were a specific response to a recommendation made by a predecessor panel, the Section 800 panel. What the purpose of that introduction was, was to allow the department and the government as a whole to be able to purchase in a more simplified manner with less, um, less strictures, less processes, less requirements unique to the government than uh, other items that weren't commercial items. 
the definition of commercial item, which was uh, defined in FAR Part 12, and we're lucky because Terry Rainey, who's in the in the office in the building in this room, uh, was uh, one of the chairmen of the committee that implemented uh, FAR Part 12. But but the definition uh, of of commercial item. Uh, seemed to create a cottage industry over the last 20-plus years in the department uh, in terms of trying to figure out what was commercial and what wasn't. And, and Terry can address whether that was really the intent of the folks who wrote the implementing language. Terry? Thank you, David. I would, I would speak to two things relative to the commercial items changes that were made. First is uh, Larry Trowell's not here with us, but Larry actually chaired the committee that uh, wrote FAR Part 12 back from the, the FASA, uh, after the passage of FASA. He's a commissioner, uh, but he's actually working on something else right now. And I give a lot of credit to Larry for all his knowledge in this area and, and how this came about. Uh, the, I don't think anybody anticipated the um, cottage industry that kind of grew up around uh, determination of whether an item was commercial or not. Uh, but as we got into it, and, and I actually was on the Dark Council at the time, it was implemented in 95, there was a lot of uh, lack of, um, you know, of understanding. Some of that was education. Some of it was just needed to uh, get in the market and understand what was commercial or not. And uh, uh, there are a couple other commissioners here who dealt with that a lot, too, both in, in, in industry and in government. Um, so I think that what, this is a lot clearer. Uh, and one of the major things that I believe that, that it did is uh, let's we really try to understand now the difference between commercial items, commercial products, and commercial services. And that was a big right. source of uh, confusion uh, early on was, wait a minute, services, what are commercial services? A lot of questions about that. We certainly went through a lot of uh, 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 growth in that area in terms of when something was a commercial service. And we broke those out separately, and I think that's going to make a huge uh uh, increase in understanding and will help people understand a lot better uh, how to use commercial items. I, I mean, I really think the clarifications to the commercial services area will uh, make some changes as we now have a better, uh, clearer definition of commercial services and how they can be used and, uh, and acquired under FAR Part 12. We've seen a slight decline in the use of Part 12 over the last few years in commercial items, and I think these changes will help a lot uh, to uh, increase the use uh, to gain the benefits around that. And we're looking at some other areas, too, to improve that, perhaps for uh, uh, Part 3, so uh, Volume 3. So this is a Bill of Planning Commissioner, um, and it's one of the privileges of being on this commission is you're with some of the founding fathers and mothers of these uh, concepts, and you get original intent. <laughs> As somebody who Thanks, had son. to live with these in 2013, 2014, 2015, I can tell you the following is just examples of what the frustrations people had, uh, both in the government and industry, uh, one was uh, a, a, a belief that the, that there was an uneven application of, and definitions across the DOD on what a commercial item is. Companies would say that they got a determination of commercial item over here, this part of the Air Force acquisition, but then over here they won't, or the pricing of it. And they, when I would meet with industry, I, I, I remember one of the meeting particularly where the CEO says, and it's getting worse. And so I asked around, says, what, what's happened? And one of the interesting things was I, somebody dropped a bunch of IG reports on my desk, and I read them. And they were these IG reports that were very critical of a decision on what was a commercial item that was made or what price was determined. 
And so um, I'm sure with well-intention, it was not just the cottage injury, it was also the uh, enforcement and how, and of, of what is commercial and the pricing of it actually slowed things down and made it unattractive for people to use it because of this confusion. So I think the changes that are being made will hopefully improve that and we'll get back and, and, and bend the curve back up again. And, and Daryl Scott, who's also here, was part of Larry's team working on the language that uh, wound up in our recommendations and in the chairman's bill. Yeah, and uh, I would say that going back in time a little bit, as you recall, the Section 800 panel uh, introduced the, the term commercial item back in the 1990s, and at that time, services were a very, very small part of DOD spend. So uh, as they were running short of time, the, the committee made a decision that they would defer any guidance, any detailed guidance on commercial services. Well, it turned out that deferral turned into about a 24-year uh, hiatus, and uh, over that time, the spend on services has grown to almost 50% of uh, DOD's total, total spend. Bigger than weapon systems. Yep. Uh, uh, as Dr. LaPlante says, bigger than weapon systems. So the, the challenge was people didn't, you know, they go to the FAR and they're looking for guidance on commercial services and there's nothing specific there. Part 37 that talks about services really is designed around government unique services. So we feel that, that uh, separating commercial products, stuff you can hold in your hand, you know, hardware that you can kick the tires on from commercial services, which runs a spectrum all the way from uh, you know getting a, a uh, science and technology expert uh, to come in and, and and assist with a problem, all the way to maintaining automobiles to launching space vehicles, all those fit in, in commercial services and it, it, clarifying exactly what a commercial service is and exactly what the rules are to follow. Uh, we think will make it easier for program managers and contracting officers to, to use what's out there in the commercial marketplace because the service market is really where, where many of the exciting innovations are taking place now. That's Daryl Scott, a member of the Section 809 panel, retired Air Force Major General and now a Vice President for Contracts at Boeing. We'll come back and continue our discussion with some of the members of the 809 panel on acquisition reform in just a moment. This is On DoD on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Jared Serbu. Back on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM, this is On DoD. I'm Jared Serbu. And on this week's show, we have several members of the Section 809 panel. That group of acquisition experts, of course, has been studying potential improvements to streamline the DoD procurement system and making recommendations to Congress. We're talking this week about several of the changes they've suggested and that made their way into the House version of this year's defense authorization bill. And before we move on to another topic, I just want to stick with commercial item reform for just another couple of beats because it's such a big area. And I just want to make sure I understand the connection between this 
proliferation of commercial item definitions that, that you talked about before the break and and the declining share of commercial item procedures over time, which is which is something that you folks on the panel documented in the first volume of your report. Uh, as you alluded to a second ago, the thinking back in the 90s was that these procedures were supposed to make the system simpler and, and easier to navigate. I, I think the basic theory being that for stuff that's already being sold on the commercial marketplace, you don't need a lot of government procedures to make sure the taxpayers are getting a fair price because market forces are, are doing that work for you. So again, walk me through how the proliferation of different commercial item definitions relates to the department's declining use of those procedures. I mean, Daryl, is it just that people are not willing to get one of those bad IG reports that Dr. LaPlante talked about? It, you know, if, if it takes just as long to go through a FAR Part 12 acquisition as, as it does a FAR Part 15, I might as well just use a FAR Part 15. Well, the, the, the challenge was in some cases it took longer to go through a FAR Part 12. An, an example, uh, on the Air Force's uh, C-17 aircraft, uh, there is an, what's called an auxiliary power unit. It provides power to the airplane while it's on the ground and, and the engines are turn, <coughs> turned off. The C-17 has two of them, one on the left side and one on the right. And the, they are commercial items. And the, I, I can't remember whether it was the left-hand one or the right-hand one. But one of them, the contracting office said, yeah, that's a commercial item. We see the catalog from the supplier for that item. No problem. The other one, the only difference in the one on the other side was the tailpipe, the exhaust pipe, comes out at the opposite side of the unit. And it took 400 days to make a determination that that item was, was I, commercial. I, just following up, and again, this is Bill, I can tell you that, let's say, in contract uh, definitization, let's say, particularly the FMS, a lot of FMS cases for military sales are done by what's called UCA. They're started under an unidentified contracting action, and the definitization happens later. I've found cases, to Daryl's point, of things that have gone on a year and a half not being definitized over determination of a commercial item uh, definitions, just like Daryl said, it was actually causing delays of definitization of contracts, like two years. So it, it, it was it's, it, for all those reasons. Yeah, uh, this is Terry Renning, and I just wanted to make sure you, you, you said in your question this proliferation of commercial item definitions. That, that, that There has only been one definition. The real issue was a difficulty in in determining whether or not products or services met that definition. And depending on how you interpret the definition, you got different answers. And as Dr. LaPlante said, when you started getting different, different determinations from different contracting officers and organizations um, on the same item, uh, then that got to be a problem. And uh, that, I think those problems will be a lot less uh, under the new definitions, uh, under, under the clarification and the sort of the the, uh, the breaking and of understanding and in the FAR as to what is commercial service and a commercial item. Uh, one thing, though, Terry, uh, uh, if there had only been one definition, that would have been simpler. There was there were actually forty right. different well, forty different definitions within the FAR of what a commercial item was. And one of the things that the committee picked up on was our recommendation that you rationalize those forty down to these two commercial products and commercial services. And uh, the, you, can, you can see how it could be confusing to people if, depending on what page of the FAR they open up to, there's a different definition of, of commercial item. 
So, so I guess to kind of bring this to to a closure, uh, I think if you observe what has happened over the last 25, 26 years since 1995, when the commercial item rule uh, took effect, uh, I think what you look at is we wound up having uh, a, a process that was really focused on how not to buy a commercial item because of the issue with uh, determining whether an item met the definition and our proposal which now the chairman has picked up really focuses on how to buy them and eliminating hopefully eliminating the cottage industry that spends years working out whether something is a commercial item and, and now can focus on products and services and and a, 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 pre a preference for determining that it is and, and moving on to the real issue, which I think you will find if you peel back most of these cases, is, which was on pricing. When, when I used to be SAE, I would describe it to people in ways that you could relate in your everyday life. It literally happened to me like all of us. Our, my battery died. I had a rush to the airport for something. I called AAA. They came and installed the battery. I knew I paid a little bit more, but I got it done and I went on my flight. I thought, you know what? We, I couldn't do that as the SAE because I don't know that I got the right price. So mm. that's, that's the a simple-minded example of what we're talking about as part of the issue. And not to complicate things even further, but um, in, in Chairman Thornberry's bill, we would still have this category of things that are called commercial of a type, things that are n uh, not exactly sold on the commercial marketplace in exactly the same way, but uh, they're very close. So I, I'm just wondering how big a loophole that is if, if, if commercial of a type is still there. If, if we're trying to neck down the definition of what's really commercial, how big a Pandora's box does it leave in place in terms of government contracting folks' discretion to land on their own definitions of, of what's commercial? Again, I, when we implemented the FASA statute, uh, Title Eight, I think of of the of the statute, which was commercial items. Uh, one of the difficulties we had, and why of a type was there, is that in the services industry, in a in particular, uh, the government buys now a lot of services. Those services are really tailored almost always to the needs of the customer, and so if you went out and tried to find an exact copy of a service so that you can compare one to the other, it, it's pretty hard to do. If, if you go to a service provider who is supporting a bank, they provide different services to the bank, but they're essentially the same. They look different when they sell it to a brokerage house. And, and, and so of a type remains, I think, an important tool. And that's why you guys left it in in your recommendations, right, Yeah, uh, yeah that's Darryl? right. Um, and I, I use uh, an analogy. If you go to Jiffy Lube to get your oil changed, they don't really care what kind of car you can come in. They can change your oil. They'll change your, fi the, uh, your filters for you. And that's the service they provide. But without the of the type, the way the government uh, system works is I couldn't take a Humvee to Jif Jiffy Lube and get the oil changed because I, I have to establish that the service I'm getting is the same as the guy who brought in the you know the the uh, Jeep Cherokee 
five minutes before. So it's it's a useful tool that allows people to say there is no thing exactly like this that meets the military requirement, but there are goods and services, products and services that are close enough that we can establish a basis of comparison. The reason this, this is Bill Plank, the reason this is increasingly important is, for example, software development, even on weapons systems. Uh, there are some of the best examples of modern software that start to pop in using fast, agile type approaches, use services, uh, acquire software as a service. So you can imagine, just given Daryl's just analogy, um, you, you, you may not be able to match if you're doing F, F35 software as a service. You know, how, is that the same as the, as the software as a service that somebody what a bank would use? Uh, you know, it's, it's a little different, right? But, but it, you'd want to be able to use something, and for the same, you'd have the same problem, finding a one-to-one match. So it's helpful in that regard. That's Dr. Bill LaPlante, former Assistant Secretary of the Air Force for Acquisition. He is one of the members of the Section 809 panel we have with us this week to talk about acquisition reform and some of the recommendations the panel has made that have already made their way into the House version of this year's NDAA. We'll talk more after another short break. This is On DOD on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Jared Serville. Thanks for listening to federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. This is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. And we're talking this week with several members of the Section 809 panel, the congressionally chartered group of experts that's in charge of coming up with ways to streamline the defense acquisition system. As we've been discussing, several suggestions the commission outlined in the first volume of its report have already made their way into legislation via the House version of this year's National Defense Authorization Act. And let's let's pivot to another aspect of that reform bill that the 809 panel has also worked on a lot, which is the requirement for DOD to come up with a new small business strategy. Uh, the, the department's already pretty proud, obviously, of the extent to which it meets its small business contracting goals, such as they are. But in, in your view, what are kind of the missing elements of that whole structure? Dave Drabkin, if you want to start us off on that point. Well, well back to our comments about when we went out and talked to people in the field, uh, both businesses who had left the, the department's market space and businesses who weren't doing business with us. Uh, particularly the ones who weren't doing business with us, they uh, shared with us that, you know, DOD doesn't come knocking on their door. They don't know where to go if they really want to do business with us. When we looked at the various activities that the department uh, provided for to reach small businesses, we found some things that were missing. So when we talked to the small business offices, we found that they had lots of folks who went to various meetings and places where people who already do business with the government exist. They really didn't have a focus on going to programs, shows, associations where there were people who didn't do business with the government. When we went and talked to our procurement technical assistance centers who are out there for the purpose of helping companies do business with the DOD, we found that they didn't have an outreach program, that they basically were in their facilities waiting for people to knock on the door. And then finally, when we looked at the industrial base office at the OSD level, while they had a mission to look at the whole industrial base and try to identify 
the department's needs and find companies in that industrial base or in the marketplace that could fill their needs, they, they really weren't focused on small businesses. And so we thought that if the department changed its focus so that it looked for small businesses that currently have innovative technologies that help the department deliver um, it, it, its focus, which is lethality to the warfighter, that our time and effort would be better spent and the result in terms of delivering lethality to the warfighter, obtaining and maintaining technical dominance would be better achieved, particularly since we, we found and echo um, the general findings across the economy that small businesses are generators of innovation. They have great ideas that we're not able to take advantage of. This is Charlie Williams. Uh, in addition to what Dave said, uh, as we looked at the small business uh, activity in the department, and you look across the whole department up and down, you see that we have all these different small business activities primarily focused on reaching goals regardless of how those goals satisfy the department's primary mission, and that is uh, to uh, increase lethality to our warfighters. So based on that and trying to decide how do you get the best bang for the buck, uh, our view is that there needs to be a strategic approach from top down in the department that says, as I go engage the small business community, I need that small business community focused on producing lethality and, and, and driving technology for my warfighter, uh, and I need to do that in an integrated way because things that I learned in the Air Force are things that are important to me in the Army and the Navy, uh, and we can't do that uh, base by base, office by office. It has to be based on a strategy, uh, and then we can do the, do the outreach. And this is Bill Platt, and one of the themes that this commission's had since the first initial report that came out in, I think, May of 2017 that Dave mentioned was mission first. We really believe that, you know, this is about the mission. It's about the mission. So small business is great. It's great for the reasons that Charlie and Dave just said. Well, use it for that, but use it for the mission and, and, the, and the innovation. Don't just do it for to meet numbers or something like that. This is kind of an ancillary question, but something Chairman Thornberry brought up when he first talked with a few of the reporters about what he was trying to do with this year's version of the acquisition reform bill was his frustration at the pace of the rulemaking process within DOD in, in terms of how the department goes about actually amending the federal acquisition regulation and the DFARS. From, from his perspective, he was kind of annoyed that the last several years of statutory and, well, NDAA changes Congress has already ordered in terms of acquisition reform haven't made their way into the or, or through the implementation stage because that regulatory process with notice and comment and everything else is in in his view very very slow and so I just I just wonder if you all think that basic diagnosis is right because if it is it seems to be that's going to impact a lot of the recommendations that you've made because that same rulemaking process has to be used to get rid of whatever acquisition rules that you've recommended that that you think ought to be repealed. So I just wonder, again, if you have any views on whether that diagnosis is right and if you've heard anything along those lines in your public meetings. Well, first of all, uh, most of our recommendations won't be addressed at repealing things. It will be addressed at adding capability or new processes or new ways to accomplish 
the tasks we have. Uh, we're not in the negative business. We're in the positive business, building a, an acquisition process that, again, delivers war, lethality to the warfighter inside the turn of our near peers. Um, in terms of uh, terms of the time it takes to implement uh, directions by Congress, or for that matter, directions by the executive, uh, I don't think we're making any recommendations to improve the rulemaking process. Uh, there are a lot of things that contribute to the amount of time that uh, the executive branch takes to implementing congressional direction. Terry, do you, do you have anything to add to that? No, to my knowledge, we're not, we're not looking at that. I think the rules promulgation process for the last years has been somewhat uh, been done in a way that's had to take into account the new administration and people getting in place to handle those. And uh, I know the DAR Council has been working a lot of things, but that process certainly hasn't slowed down. But in terms of, you know, going to the right agents, uh, O'Reilly and others, to put things out, I think that's just uh, become a... Uh, process that I think will pick up now that the right folks are in place. Okay, and, and Dave, I'm glad you clarified the bit about the 809 panel not just being in the repeal business, because at at least in my head, when, when Congress first chartered the panel, the main job was going to be to come up with a big, long list of regulations that have outlived their usefulness and needed to go away. So just to put a finer point on it, we should not expect a document like that to appear out of your panel. Well, I, I, again, we, we have made recommendations to repeal uh, outdated provisions, provisions that are not being used, uh, provisions that don't serve their purpose any longer. But our focus, uh, is, our additional focus is to uh, make suggestions to amend the process to, to provide for agility, uh, to, to provide for speed, not speed for speed's sake, but speed because, uh, you know, we buy something in a perfect way, but we deliver it late, it doesn't, uh, doesn't help. Uh, you know, we need to find a way to buy tomorrow's technology today instead of buying yesterday's technology for delivery tomorrow. Um, and, and I think across all the recommendations you'll see, while we may recommend the amendment of or repeal of a particular provision of regulation or statute, uh, the impetus of our recommendation will be to add capability uh, to get the job done. And we haven't addressed this aspect of the chairman's proposal yet, but the bill also includes a big, long list of offices and agencies that DOD is required by law to keep up and running. Um, things like the Office of Corrosion Control that would do away with those. Th that's another thing the 809 panel has looked at in a fair amount of detail. So does the chairman's list basically line up with what you recommended? Yeah. This is Daryl Scott uh, again. Uh, yes. We, and if you see what the, what the, the chairman wrote, uh, we we suggested to him that uh, there are are certain statutory requirements for for particular offices and certain statutory requirements for for reporting that had uh, uh, perhaps it was time to take another look at them. But the 
the focus we had was not in eliminating offices. It was eliminating the statutory requirements so that the secretary can decide whether uh, those offices, whether he wants them to continue or whether in in, uh, his efforts to streamline the management of the department that he may choose to reorganize those or, or, or eliminate them. But we didn't make a recommendation to eliminate. We made a recommendation to allow the secretary the freedom to organize and run the department uh, and in, in a quick way, this is Bill Fine. I think I someone here can say, I think we said of the volume one, which came out in January, right? I think we we estimate somewhere, I don't know, a majority of the stuff we had in there it came out yesterday. There's other things that came out yesterday that were nothing to do with, which we've already talked, you know, didn't have anything to do with. But most of volume one, I would say a lot of it came out yesterday. Yeah. A good deal. And, good deal. And we're, and we're still waiting to see what uh, the SASC will do with uh, our report and maybe the rest will get picked up there. We didn't recommend the elimination of any office. We recommended that the statutory requirement for the office be repealed, leaving, as Darrell pointed out, the SecDef with the discretion to decide whether to continue the office or not. In fact, in many of our recommendations, both statutory and regulatory policy, it was to provide the SecDef with greater flexibility to manage the resources available to him to accomplish the mission of delivering lethality to the warfighter. Same thing with our small business pivot, and uh, even as you talk about the commercial item changes we made, it's all about giving greater flexibility to the department to buy things and get them to the warfighter uh, ahead of the turn of our adversaries. David Drabkin is the chairman of the Section 809 panel. We're talking to several of the commissioners this week about some of the initial acquisition reform recommendations they made that are now under consideration as part of the House's version of this year's defense authorization bill. We'll talk about what's ahead for the commission after one more short break. This is on DOD on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Jared Serbu. Back on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. This is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. And a few more minutes this week with some of the members of the Section 809 panel, the commission that's examining options for acquisition reform on behalf of Congress. And just just to finish us, uh, finish us off, most of what we've been talking about so far has been the recommendations that you all made in Volume 1 of your report. And uh, the panel, of course, is supposed to wrap up its work by next January. And and there's a lot about the defense acquisition system that you haven't addressed yet in your public recommendations, including this big overarching topic of how the department's supposed to stay ahead of potential adversaries in terms of the competition for technology. So just give us a flavor for some of the work that you're doing in that area and, and what we might see in the second and third volumes. I think that when our final volume three is issued next January 15th, 
15th is a yep. due date, and we'll we'll make it on the due date. Uh, <laughs> now maybe a little later than that. 4:30 p.m. Right, but uh, I think by when we issue the volume three and we're able to look at the entire report, including our interim report, that yes, we will make an impact on uh, future procurements of uh, innovative solutions as well as uh, new technologies, uh, both uh, bleeding edge and. Uh, and, and 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 brand new stuff. In fact, one of the one of the things we're hoping and uh, focusing our attention on is making sure that the department can buy uh, whatever is out there uh, and the newest stuff and get it into the hands of the warfighter ahead of our near peer competitors and non-state actors. And this is again, this is Bill plan, but. Obviously, there's lots of things being tried right now out there in the, in the ecosystem of acquisition, you know, some of which you mentioned. And uh, I think it's going to, if this commission finishes its work of the way the chairman just said, I think it'll help even in that declutter some of that in the same way and organize that if we do it the way we're hoping. This is Daryl Scott, and I'm one of the commissioners. And I would add that uh, uh, one of the things that, that the, the uh, committee picked up was we were, we we're seeking to integrate small businesses, non-traditional suppliers, uh, folks who, who know how to be agile, uh, and we're, we're uh, looking for the department to establish a strategy to integrate accessing those suppliers as part of its normal mission to, get, to uh, uh, support the warriors. And uh, you know, we're delighted that, that, that the com committee did pick up on those items because we think that's going to be a really significant change when you can get those smart, innovative firms to want to come do business with the U.S. Department of Defense. One of the things we heard as the panel while we have been interviewing companies in all parts of the country was the was their observation that there was no obvious point of entry into the department for them to bring to our attention um, capabilities that, that they had and that the, part, the department didn't know about, essentially because they, they just invented them. Uh, and so uh, the, what the chairman has picked up uh, in, in the bill uh, in terms of our recommendations would uh, have the secretary uh, not only develop the strategy uh, to reach out to the uh, innovative companies and the non-traditionals, but also to provide them a clear point of entry so they can bring their ideas into the department and to our operators so they can figure out uh, whether that will help them do business. And we talked about, I think, in our report specifically, an example of Hondo Gertz, who used to be the uh, senior procurement executive at SOCOM, and what he had done um, there in Tampa to provide for uh, the opportunity for people with innovative ideas uh, to bring them to the attention of SOCOM and uh, so the SOCOM could evaluate whether or not they provided them with operational capability. And, and, and we know if you talk, you know, I'll talk to Hondo and ask him about some of the things people brought in the door, which sounded absolutely nuts, 
but uh, actually had a very important application uh, to protecting warfighters and to helping them uh, achieve their mission. Again, David Drabkin, the chairman of the Section 809 panel on acquisition reform. We've been talking this week with several members of the commission, particularly about the recommendations they've already made that have been taken up by the House Armed Services Committee as part of this year's defense authorization bill. We'll post a link to Volume 1 of the 809 panel's report at federalnewsradio.com. And if you missed any part of our discussion this week, you can listen back to it anytime at federalnewsradio.com slash on DOD or on our podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. That's it for this week's edition of On DoD. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Jared Serbu. So long. You've been listening to On DoD with Federal News Radio DoD reporter Jared Serbu. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear the entire show or any of our weekly programs anytime at federalnewsradio.com. On DoD, only on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. 